Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. We uh, are in the book of Amos. Uh, we've got today and then next week, and we'll finish that up. Uh, and so if you have a Bible um, and you open one and put it in your lap, Amos chapter 8. We're going to read uh, all of chapter 8 and a portion of chapter 9. So Amos 8 is where we're going to start. If you need a Bible that you can open and put in your lap, there's some on the sides of the tech booth. If you're a user of the Bible app, please feel free to open that app, find our live event, and track along with the scriptures sermon notes and so forth. So uh, this past week, um, a lot of fun, pretty busy. Got to go and see my oldest. He's been touring with a camp and running sound for them and stuff all summer. So he was in Texas. Uh, Number two and I drove up together. I got to see him and uh, uh, he was at East Texas Baptist uh, in Marshall. Go Tigers. Anybody? No alum. Okay, cool. It's not like that other school where you say it and crazy stuff happens. Sinners, one and all. (laughs) One and all. Uh, Okay, and so uh, we drive up and uh, we get there a few minutes before lunch. We get to hang out and meet some of the people that he's been uh, hanging out with all summer. It's a lot of fun. I go to a Cajun place in Marshall, Texas. Honestly, I had a Cajun burger that was just like a burger. I mean, it really was not, uh, that wasn't worth the extra 250 You know, it was like that. We got to hang out with him all afternoon, spend time, watch him do his thing, all this kind of stuff. He had a fairly early call, and so we stepped into the cafeteria at East Texas Baptist University. So collegiate. And, and so we step into that, and all is good. Uh, so if you, you know, hadn't checked into a, a college cafeteria lately, there's always the pizza place. Yeah. Uh, there's always kind of the grill place where they do hamburgers and, and that kind of thing. And then they've got kind of the main thing that they offer. And that particular night, um, afternoon, was uh, uh, bean and cheese burritos with a side of rice and pinto beans. Not refried beans, not charro beans, pinto beans. And once you, you could have two burritos, they were about that long, not, I mean, not huge, but once you got your burritos, uh, they'd rice and bean you. And then if you, if you wanted, Miss Ella, who was really nice and really helpful in so many ways, would scoop you out some of that Rico nacho cheese stuff. Fairly sure that's what they put some things together at NASA and hold them together. Like it's that kind of, like that's the glue that sticks some of that together. Anyway, they, she would put some of that on there for you. And so I just... We were in there fairly early. I don't know if this actually happened or not, but you can picture this with me. Can you picture a ninth or 10th grade boy named Jackson? Can everybody picture this? And he has gone, number one, trip, and he has gone for the burrito. And he's got the burrito and the um, rice and beans and the yellow glue stuff that they call cheese, right? And then trip number two comes back. He comes back to the same table with another set of burritos and beans and rice and nacho cheese-ish stuff. And then trip number three, you think he's going back for ice cream. No, no, no. You see, I mean, again, they're not huge, but at this point, he's six burritos in. Yeah, you with me? Bean and cheese burritos with a side of rice and beans. You with me? So he's rolling up on his people. There Jackson is, and uh, he's kind of sitting around, and everybody's looking at him like, bro. Who is your roommate? 
Who is your roommate? And they look at him, and, and his response, you can hear it in your head, like ninth or 10th grade boy. I can hear this. I can hear, hey, hey, don't judge me, or in question form, judge much, right? Right? And the response appropriately from the table would be, there will come a judgment. Like, you can't get around this. Six burritos in, thank you so much. That's the funniest way that I can introduce Amos chapter 8. Judge much? Because there's coming a judgment. So here we are, Amos 8. You ready? We're going to read the first 10 verses, talk about them. We've got a second part, and then we'll uh, pick up the first few verses of chapter 9. None of this is funny. This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, a basket of summer fruit. And he said, Amos, what do you see? A basket of summer fruit. And the Lord said to me, the end has come upon my people. Just pause right here. Summer fruit in the Hebrew language, which is where um, uh, Amos was written in. um, Summer fruit is ketz. Everybody say it with me. Ketz. Say it. Ketz. Okay. The end, you see in the middle of uh, verse 2 there, the end has come upon me. The end is ketz. Say it. Do you see what God's doing here? A little wordplay. A little creative, poetic action. What do you see? Ketz. What's coming? Ketz. Summer fruit. The end is coming. I will never again pass by them. The songs of the temple shall become wailing in that day, declares the Lord. So many dead bodies. They are thrown everywhere. Silence. Hear this, you who trample on the needy. Bring the poor of the land to an end. Saying, when will the new moon be over that we can sow grain and the Sabbath that we may offer... Um, Excuse me, that we may uh, offer wheat for sale. That we may make the ephah small and the shekel great. Deal deceitfully with false balances. We may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and sell the chaff of the wheat. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, surely I will never forget any of their deeds. Shall not the land tremble on this account? Everyone mourn who dwells in it. All of it rise like the Nile, kind of like tidal stuff, right? Rising, falling. And be tossed about and sink again like the Nile of Egypt. And on that day, declares the Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feasts into mourning and all your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on every waist, baldness on every head. I will make it like the morning for an only son at the end of it, like a bitter day. Aren't you glad you came to church? That's so good. Okay, here's where we start. Um, There is a... Amos is announcing the judgment of God upon his people because of their sin. And we'll talk about what specifically they are. But but let's start um, with with this clear thought that the judgment that he is announcing is very rational. It's rational. Um, Paul says it this way in Romans 6 verse 23. The wages of sin, if you've been around church, maybe you know this verse. The wages of sin is, everybody death. This is not just Paul in Romans 6 though. This is Genesis chapter 3, Genesis 22. Um, There's this whole sacrifice system set up in Leviticus. Um, On and on and on and on we could go. I mean all throughout the Bible the wages there there are systems in place there are specific instances in place there are stories told where the wages of sin is death over and over and over and over and over again. Um, And in fact the the, the judgment that Amos announces here is so catastrophic that the things that should be blessings, like summer fruit, ketz, become, uh, they end up pointing out judgment, ketz. Like 
Summer fruit. I mean, apple, delicious, awesome, right? That ends up being the thing that points out the judgment that's coming. That's how bad it is. There's sin, and the wages of that sin is death. And further, it's not just that. It's not as if God's just painting a picture. The, the, um, the, the songs of their celebration. His mercy is more. Uh, there's no one like our God. These things that we've sung this morning have really become wailings and lamentations. Look at the end of verse 3. Um, or, or let's just read the whole thing. The songs of the temple shall become wailings in that day, declares the Lord. What are their new lyrics? So many dead bodies. Judgment is coming. They are thrown everywhere. Judgment is coming. Silence. Judgment. This judgment is rational. There are reasons why God is bringing this judgment. And it's because of their sin. And the wages of that sin is death. And you think to yourself, well, good thing I'm not them. Because their version of sin, their version of sin deserved that kind of thing. But the problem is, is that for God, sin is sin is sin is sin. And it provokes the same response to all of it. I noticed nobody said amen. Thank you. Thank you, sweet boy. Their version of sin is not my version of sin. And so God probably should get them, but me... What was their version of sin? Let's talk about that for a second. Look, if you will, in verse 4. Hear this, you who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end. Same word as in verse 2. There was this inhumanity that they used their life and structure and resources and that kind of thing. And they used it in a way that they assumed that life was a zero-sum game. I win a lot, you lose a lot. I'm trampling on the poor. I am, as it says here, bringing the poor of the land to an end. I'm trampling on the needy. So uh, I I pretend it's zero-sum. Instead of uh, a God who blesses me in abundance, oh, well, if I don't take from you what is yours, then guess what? I may be out. And so I'm going to use whatever I can. I'm going to leverage whatever I can to make sure that I get and you don't necessarily get. There's inhumanity there. But that's not all. There's more. Verse 5. When will the new moon be over? We can celebrate. And the Sabbath. So there's a a, a religious hypocrisy here. Yes, let's have a festival for the new moon. That's great. Yes, let's pause on Sabbath, just like God said. But really what I'm asking is, when is Sabbath going to be over? Because we've got business to do here. When is that little festival going to be over? So I'm willing to give myself to the external versions of religion, but inside I'm like, tick-tock, pal, let's get this thing done with. A religious hypocrisy. There's an inhumanity, and there's a religious hypocrisy. And then just listen to the greed. When will the new moon be over that we may sell grain? Sabbath, we may uh, have wheat for sale. We may make the ephah small and the shekel great and deal deceitfully with false balances. Do you hear the greed there? Ephah and shekel, they're measurements. You'd come uh, and you'd pour out your grain and they'd put it on a scale and then put rocks on this side and they would, they would uh, uh, game it such that uh, you were getting less and less and less and less um, for more and more and more and more cost. And one of the things that the Bible says in Proverbs, God, this, this is an abomination before God. That's how he talks about it. It is worthy of damnation, worthy of judgment. You go cheating people like that on your tax return, on your time card, whatever it may be, those, that kind of false scale, that kind of improper balancing there. 
God doesn't, he doesn't like that. Verse um, 6 now. And that we may buy the poor for silver. Not even gold, folks. Silver. I, I'm going to leverage the debt that you owe me to make sure that you're in my servitude forever. And the needy for a pair of sandals. And I'll even sell the chaff of the wheat. I'll just stick some filler in there. Is what he's saying. Inhumanity. Um, religious hypocrisy. Sabbath and new moon. Greed. Here's what I want to say. Just make sure that we're on the same page here. Sin is sin is sin. And God's response to all of it is the exact same. The wages of sin is death. And in this particular instance, one of these is my relationship to God, that religious hypocrisy part. But the, there are uh, two different instances, both the inhumanity and the greed, that are on this level right here, like you and me level. And God sees all of it the same, and he is bringing judgment because of all of it. Now, I, I say that to point out, again... It's not like uh, you and I ever think this. Oh, they don't sin like me, so surely they're worse sinners. They're worse sinners than me, yeah? I mean, my version of sin is not near as bad as that person's version of sin. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, that was a little murmur there. I had this conversation. I think I mentioned this, but a few months ago I had this conversation. Somebody kind of popped that head in my office. Hey, can I ask you a question? Sure. Uh, this person had a specific question about a specific kind of sin. And they said, hey, if a person who was like this came in uh, uh, to our church, like on Sunday morning, what would we do? Well, I mean, sinners come into our church all the time like that. That's you and me. Like, look down the road. You've got some grade A expert sinners in your row right this moment. And so what do we do? We point them to Jesus always. This is what we do. Sin is sin is sin, and God's response to, is the same to every bit of it. And then look just how bad it really is that even, even, even nature, even the earth itself gets just how bad it is. Verse 8, shall not the land tremble on this account? Everyone who dwells in it, all of it rise like the Nile, be tossed and sink again like the Nile of Egypt. So tidal stuff, you know, up and down. On that day, he says, uh, declares the Lord, I will make the sun go down at noon, darken the earth in broad daylight, feast into morning, songs into lamentation, sackcloth on every waist, baldness on every head, and mourning like the, only, uh, like the morning for an only sun at the end of it like a bitter day. Even the earth can't handle the judgment. This is what Paul says again in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 8. He says all of creation is kind of under this binding of God for the moment. And what is it doing? The Bible describes the earth as groaning, groaning about this. Why? Not because God's so mean, but because it is not designed to work this way. And so the judgment is rational. And before we run away, we'll close with this as well, but before we run away, you know what this means? Is that every person on your row right now, including the person who's occupying your seat, needs a Savior. Every one of us needs a Savior. The wages of our sin is death. Not just their sin is their death. Our sin is our death. The wages of sin is death. And so that is why we need Savior. Right here at the get-go, Amos is pointing this out, and he's letting us, if you will, feel the weight of this so that we go, God, we, we need, we need a Savior. 
judgment is rational. The second part of this, I mean, it's bad enough, the first 10 verses, but here's, here's another expression of judgment. And it's terrifying. Verse 11, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord God, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water. That'd be bad enough. But of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea, from north to east, shall run to and fro, seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. In that day, the lovely virgins and the young men shall faint for thirst. Those who swear by the guilt of Samaria and say, as your God lives, O Dan, as the way of Beersheba lives, they shall fall and never rise again. Judgment in this particular case also can express itself, God is saying here, as withdrawal. God just pulls back. You want it your way. This is what you get. Again, I keep pointing to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 1, this is how Paul describes it. Hey, God gives them over. He gives them over. He gives them over. You want it this way. I'm going to let you have it this way. And that's not God's kindness to you folks. That's God's judgment. You want to keep walking your own way. I may very well let you. Judgment is withdrawal. And and specifically, he describes it as not a famine of bread or thirst, uh, uh, or uh, thirst for water, but a hearing of the words of God. There is a famine of God's word. Um, when there's famine, you, you know, think about uh, the stories that you've seen. All, there, there's a couple of things that are true. Number one, people are willing to dig through trash in order to find something to eat. And when, when there is a famine of God's word, people are willing to dig through trash in order to find something. It lines bookshelves. And YouTube videos and all sorts of things. A famine of God's word. People are willing, they're that desperate to feed themselves. They will, they will do anything to feed themselves. Um, uh, a couple of months ago, I, I finished the Gulag Archipelago by Alexander Solzhenitsyn. Anybody? One of you, two of you. Okay, great. Um, it, it's a fantastic book. Um, uh, it's not a fantastic book. That's not true. It is, it is a terrifying book. It's an account of him. He was a political prisoner uh, under Stalin um, in, in the gulags of, of uh, the Soviet Union in the 50s. And um, he wrote about it and wrote stories that came out of it. Um, one of the things that he said was he would watch people waste away until when it came time, they would do anything. They would eat bark from a tree or grass from a field. This is what we're talking about when we're talking about famine. And secondly, then they are willing to follow anyone, not just eat anything, but follow anyone who offers them hope. And they will continue to look for someone to offer them hope until ultimately hope dies within them because they've hit and missed, hit and missed, hit and missed, tried and... Why, why would God bring a famine what, like, of the word of the Lord? What would this look like? Of hearing the words of the Lord. That's what it says. M- meaning, God just refuses to speak. And you think to yourself, dude, that doesn't sound very much like God. Well, n- number one, he's speaking right now. Like, through the prophet Amos, he's speaking. To you and me, he's speaking. And so, it's uh, when, when we talk about God refusing to speak, it must be something other than just this. Because um, I, I think really what he's after is, there are times when... I am unwilling to do the thing that I know God has already said. And why in the world would he entrust me with something else if I'm not willing to do what he's already said? 
Again, there's no amens. I appreciate that. But the refusal to speak is the reticence, not on God's part, but on our part to actually hear and to do what he has said is important to do. Um, Pastorally speaking, before we run away from this, I'm trying to make some application here. Pastorally speaking, um, if if you feel like, golly, I mean, I open this thing right here and it just feels like blow the dust off of it because it is dry and dusty. One of the questions that's wise to ask, it's not necessarily um, true of you in this moment, but it's wise to ask is this, God, is there something that you have said to me that I am not willing to do? Have I sinned against you in that way? And if so, what is it? Because I want to do it so that you and I can continue to grow in our relationship. He refuses to speak. Secondly, it says there's a loss of guidance. Look, if you will, in verse uh, 12. They shall wander from sea to sea, from north to east. They shall run to and fro, seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. Wandering from sea to sea, north to east, seeking anyone, anywhere who might help them, give them security, give them comfort, whatever it may be. He talks about going to the east. So uh, the east is where Abraham Abraham came from, but when God called him and brought him out of that land. And it's associated with not only their past, but also wisdom. And so they think to themselves, okay, ancient wisdom. Surely, surely somewhere there's ancient wisdom. I'm going to go get that. Uh, God has this. He's not talking to me right now. Surely somewhere over there, there's some ancient wisdom that I can get a hold of. And the north. The north is where Assyria was. Assyria was the empire that would ultimately come in and conquer and deport all of the people of Israel. So they were looking to the culture that would ultimately, ironically even, conquer them. Looking to the east, oh, somebody wrote something somewhere that I can latch onto. Or looking to the north, listen to the culture, even though it may very well conquer me when it's all said and done. They run to and from. Trying to find something. This, this is the spiritual equivalent. Anybody ever do this? Of channel surfing? You start clicking. You're like, click. No, click. No, click. No, click. Oh, saw that one. Click. And you, you finally find something that piques your interest for the next seven minutes until the commercial break comes. And then you're like, mm, click. This is, this is spiritually what they're doing here. A loss of guidance. And then this rise of deceit. Look at verse 13 and 14. In that day, the lovely virgins and the young men shall faint for thirst. Those who swear by the guilt of Samaria and say, as your God lives, O Dan, as the way of Bathsheba lives, they shall fall and never rise again. This rise of deceit, of of deception um, in in Israel. uh, We talked about this a a few weeks ago. Let me just refresh your memory. Uh, They made golden calves and put in different places in the country so that people would come and bow down um, to the golden calf. They didn't want them going to Jerusalem to worship. That's a different territory at this point. They wanted them worshiping there. And so you've got this rise of deception um, uh, where there will, they were just consistently inviting people to worship at their place, in their way, that kind of thing. Church family, listen to me. One of the things that happens when God withdraws his word and we quit paying attention to what he has said um, is this rise of deception because there will always be people who invite you to worship all of God with a part of you or part of God with all of you. There will always be people who invite you to worship all of God with part of you. God you can have my Sunday. Here it is. I give you my best three hours on Sunday morning. This is it right here. Please don't look anywhere else. Don't ask me to do anything for you Monday through Friday. In fact, I got business to do. And so don't, don't jump into my whatever it may be. 
part, all of God with part of you. You get this section of me, God. There will be people who invite you to worship part of God with all of you. Oh, God's love. And He is. Can we celebrate the fact that God is love? But that love has a context which makes sense because of who God is. One of, Excuse me. The greatest expression of God's love was Jesus dying on the cross. Why did he die on the cross? Because God is holy and sin had to be paid for. And so you, you have to set that love. You can't just make it up. You can't just uh, give your own version of that and it be true. You have to receive what God has done and it has to be in its proper context. There will be people who invite you to worship part of God with all of you. That is, a, that is, that is the deception that's at play here. And folks, the only thing worse than being deceived by somebody else is deceiving yourself. And that self-deception, we so tell ourselves the story, the lie, whatever it may be. And what happens is, uh, the more we tell ourselves that, the more we disconnect ourselves from, from reality. And we create a perception of life. An environment where perception and deceit is the world in which you and I live. When we are self-deceived, this is the problem. But... I mean, it's bad enough that, that that is the creation that we make. We don't make something actually helpful and productive. We make that instead. But then worse, actual reality has a way of crashing into our perception and scattering it all. This is what happens. This rise of deception. That's why we have to hear God's word. Be in God's word. The instability and insecurity of deception, be it self-deception or others. It, it, it falls to the reality of the world, of the, of the world, and we have to be in the Word in order to handle that. I just give you a couple of points here, real quick. Uh, what, what again, pastorally? What does that mean? Put yourself in a church. Maybe you are part of our church family. It's why we preach the way that we do and teach the way that we do. Um, and if, if not, you're visiting from outside. Put yourself in a church that teaches the Bible and teaches all of it. Do that. There, there are churches that don't. Be a part of a church that does, okay? No, um, number two, you need to open this book on the regular, folks. Like, be in the Bible. Open it up. Don't read about what somebody else says about it. Read it, okay? Don't, uh, don't just, you know, take your favorite podcast. What? Read the Bible. Be in the book. Why? Because God has given us this book. And he, is, he speaks through the word. And then lastly, be a part of a group, a collection of people um, that uh, you're not looking at the back of their heads like you are right now, but be, be a part of a group that you have a Bible open in front of you and you're, studying, you're looking in somebody else's eyes as you're doing this. In our particular context, we do this through Sunday school, small groups, and Bible studies, and we want you to be involved in one of those. Be a part of that. Let, let, let your Bible intake the, the, the church that you attend and the group that you are a part of help um, be, uh, give you uh, regular doses um, of the scriptures. Deception. It, it, otherwise, it'll come for us. So, d- judgment um, is rational. Judgment can look like withdrawal. And lastly, it is certain. Look at chapter 9, verse 1. I saw the Lord standing beside the altar. Now, just make a mental note of that. Don't run away from it, Okay. Make a mental note of that. I saw the Lord standing beside the altar, and he said, Strike the capitals until the thresholds shake. Shatter them on the heads of all the people. Those who are left of them I will kill with the sword. No one will shall, excuse me, none of them shall flee away. Not one of them shall escape. If they dig into Sheol from there, my hand shall take them. Sheol, the place of the dead, if they go down to the bottoms. Uh, if they climb up to the heavens from there, I will bring them down. If they hide themselves on the top of Carmel, this mountain, 
From there, I will search them out and take them. If they hide from my sight at the bottom of the sea, there I will command the serpent and it shall bite them. And if they go into captivity before their enemies, there I will command the sword and it shall kill them. And I will fix my eyes upon them for evil um, and not for good. Let me just pause here. When it talks about certainty, here's what I want you to hear. Because sin, uh, the wages of sin is death. Here's what I want you to know. No sin and no sinner escapes accountability. We structure our world and we structure, we, we long for the day when I am not accountable. But no sinner, sinner shall escape the accountability. And you think to yourself, well, dude, Amos, man, that cat's having, just having a bad day. Like, saw the summer fruit and it was the end and blah, blah, blah. God, he just sounds, ugh, judgy. No, because no sinner, sinner will escape. Well, maybe Amos just woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Listen, uh, here, here's the deal. Um, this is not just an Old Testament concept. That people will not escape. If you're in the heights, you don't escape. You're in the depths, you don't escape. Over here, over there, it doesn't really matter. No sin or sinner. No sin or sinner will escape accountability. Here's how the New Testament expresses this. This is 2 Corinthians 5.10. Look at it. For we must, everybody, what, what is that next word? All. Okay, so let's just pause. Who escapes this? Nobody, because we're all a part of this. We're all a part of all. Therefore, that's you and that's me. For we must all appear before, and then what, the, the next three words there are, what, what, what do we appear before? The, the judgment seat. The judgment seat. Well, this doesn't sound like a very nice New Testament. Con- we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due. For what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Folks, there is coming a day in your life and mine where I will stand, you will stand before Jesus himself in blazing glory with all of his glory given back to him. The son of God marked with nails where they uh, they pierced him, where he died for sin and where he victoriously rose again. This Jesus is the one who will sit on the judgment seat and I will stand and give an account, not, for, not only for the words that I say and the things that I type, but also for the actions that I took or didn't take and the, uh, uh, the attitudes and the thoughts that I entertained or, or expressed. Listen, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, every one of us. No sin and no sinner escapes accountability. And here, back in Amos chapter 9, um, the, the one play that you could try to make is to bluff your way out of it. But it won't happen. The Lord God of hosts, he who touches the earth and it melts, all who dwell in it mourn, all of it rises like the Nile, sinks again like the Nile of Egypt, who builds his upper chambers in the heavens, founds his vault upon the earth, calls for the waters of the sea, pours them out upon the surface. The Lord is his name. Here we go, verse 7. Are you not like the Cushites to me, O people of Israel? Declares the Lord. Did I not bring up Israel from the land of Egypt, the Philistines from Kaphtar and the Syrians from Kir? Behold, the eyes of the Lord are upon the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it from the surface of the ground, except that I will not utterly Destroy the house of Jacob. Skip down to verse 10. We'll come back to verse 9 in just a second. Skip down to verse 10. All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword who say disaster shall not overtake or meet us. Hey, God, those are a particular kind of sinners. You should probably get them. But what is the word of the Lord to you, to me, to everybody is? Arrogance. You don't get to bluff your way out of this judgment. We must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. All of us. And I can't bluff my way out of it. Last thing. Verse 9. For behold, 
I will command and shake the house of Israel among the nations, as one shakes with a sieve, but no pebble shall fall to the earth. So he says he's not going to destroy it all, but instead he's going to shake it like a sieve. You ever done this? Put dirt in there and you start shaking it, start shaking it. All the sand, all the little bitty stuff begins to um, sift out and you're left with kind of the rocks or the, the, the big stuff. The stuff that should remain, remains. This is what God says. The stuff that should remain, remains. So even in judgment, there's a heart of mercy. Yes, things will shake. Yes, things will be sifted. Yes, but, but what needs to remain will remain. And I, I want to point back to verse 1. What did he see? The Lord standing beside the altar. And the reason why, even in judgment, there remains a heart of mercy is because of this. The God who stood, by the, by, the God who stood beside the altar to pronounce judgment is the God who put his son on the altar to purchase forgiveness for you and for me. The God who said, this is what is going down, also sacrificed his son so that you and I could be made right with him. Now, for every believer in here, that is the very heartbeat of everything that we gather for on Sunday morning. It is the gospel. It is the good news that Jesus left heaven and came to earth and died on a cross in our place and for our sins, rose victoriously and ascended gloriously to the right hand of God Almighty. This is the story that we tell over and over and over again. God has stepped in to make a sacrifice for you and for me. For those of you in the room and for those of you watching at home who would not consider yourself a Christian or you're just not sure, I want you to know that all of this talk about judgment, it all, listen, it all falls under a greater story that God is telling. And that story is this, that God was willing to take the judgment on himself in order that you and I could receive mercy. The wages of sin is death, Paul says, but the free gift of God is eternal life. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. So if you've never given your life to Christ, I'm inviting you today. When I pray in just a moment, you take a moment and you say, God, I'm, I'm giving my life to you. Please forgive me and take over my life. And he will. He will wash you clean. He will forgive you. And you will be a new person when you walk out of this room. And for some of you, just because you've been lugging it around like this really broken piece of luggage, just like two wheels are off and you can't get it to roll like it's supposed to. You're, you're dragging it around and going, I, I, I'm sure that I have to continue to carry this. I want you to hear me say that God who spoke judgment from the altar is the one who set his son on that altar and gave himself for you. You can let go of your baggage. You can let go of your shame. You can be done with your sin. Today, he offers freedom and a fullness, not just freedom, a fullness of life. He really will transform you. There's not a person who walked in today. There's not a person watching online today who is beyond the grace of God. There's not a person outside of his passionate pursuit who's like God's like, eh, well, yeah, go ahead. Man, he is pursuing you today. And I want you to hear me say, you can turn and give your life to Jesus. You can turn and let him do his liberating work in you and produce in you exactly what he wants to produce. You can walk out of here with the transformative power of Jesus at work in your life. Surrender to him today. Give your stuff to him today. Offer yourself 
to him today. Say what you need to say to him today. Let me pray for us. We'll have a song of response and then a couple of announcements. We'll get out of here. Take a moment, bow your head. If you need to say something to the Lord, you feel free to do so. If there is sin in your life, I want you to know what he said in 1 John is still very true. If we confess our sins, God is faithful. Every time, folks, he's faithful. And he is just, he is right in doing so to forgive you of your sin. Why? Because of Jesus. And to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. You can be free. And you can live in the fullness of who God is and what he desires for you. A life abundant is how Jesus talked about it. You can do that. So, Father, by your Holy Spirit, would you go to work? The very Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, you want to be at work and give life even to our mortal bodies. And that's what I'm praying for in this moment for every person here. Maybe today, eternal life for someone. A life marked with eternity begins today because they surrender to you. For some, a freedom from all the shame and all the junk and all the stuff, all the the ways that other people have pronounced judgment over them, they're surrendering it to you because of your incredible love for them and your power that raised Jesus from the dead. Whatever it is, let the sword soak down into us. Let us not pretend to hide anything from you. David the psalmist said, um, when I closed my lips and didn't confess my sin, my bones dried up as in the heat of summer. We know what the heat of summer feels like. And that's what our sin is doing to us inside. We're, We're melting, God. So thank you for the invitation to confess it. Thank you for the invitation to surrender it. Please do that here. Thank you for your mercy that is available to us because of who Jesus is. You, the one who pronounced judgment, are also the one who sent your son to save. So, do that work now. In Jesus' name, we pray. Everybody said, amen.